book of First Timothy, and that took us, what, about three months, and in that book we found 15 different instructions, and that really was the purpose of the book, the purpose of First Timothy, the reason why any church should read it and, and seek to understand it and implement it is that it's in the book of First Timothy, perhaps more than any other book in the Bible, that God has given us instructions for how we are to behave in the household of God. And in fact, that's exactly what we find out in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Just listen as I remind us uh, of why it was we spent so many months taking a look at that book. Paul writes to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a foundation of the truth. And so, so we were very serious about taking a look at 1 Timothy and saying, well, this is going to help us to, to understand how we ought to behave in the household of God. And we reminded ourselves that this church is God's house. Uh, and that we come here not of our own women fancy, not to do what we think we ought to do or what we see fit to do. But we are here because God is our Father and He has called us into His house. He's called us into His family. And he has certain expectations, certain instructions for us. And we commented on the fact that it's not self-evident how we ought to behave in, in God's house. Otherwise, every local church would look more or less the same. With, with variety and slight differences based on the unique calling that God might give to any individual local church. But, but the, the broad basics should be the same. And so... Uh, at South Shore, our goal is not to sit down and think, what could we do, what could we do, what could we do, what do we want to do? But first and foremost, what does God want us to do? What, what is his vision for his church? So we found 15 instructions in 1 Timothy. Now you probably noticed, as we went through 1 Timothy, the tone of that book. The tone is authoritative. And so if you're going to preach the book of 1 Timothy, you have to stand up and with authority, not authority in, in, in the preacher, but in the authority of the word of God and the instructions that he has so clearly given, you have to say, this is what we must do with authority. Uh, it was filled with imperatives. Do this. Do that. Don't do that. And it was definitive. It, it didn't say, I recommend that you might want to consider, but it actually said, this is exactly how I want you to behave in God's household. Which means then that our goal as a church is unapologetic. We shall strive to implement all 15 instructions that we discovered in the book of 1 Timothy. Indeed, 1 Timothy is to be the very fabric of who we are as a church. So, so if anyone asks you, well, what kind of church do you go to? You might say, well, I go to a Baptist church. That almost means nothing now because there's so many different kinds of Baptist churches. You might say, I go to an evangelical church. Same thing, bigger problem actually. What is an evangelical church? You might say, I go to a church that takes seriously the book of 1 Timothy. And we're endeavoring to implement that book at our church. We're not doing it perfectly. We're, we probably haven't understood every nuance exactly as we should. But it's our goal and our collective drive to live out the words of that book. But what happens to a church that says that they want to implement the book of 1 Timothy? 
what happens. Well, it's different depending on where you are and, and who's in your church. But we probably want to consider what happened to Timothy in Ephesus so many years ago. You see, when God is, is writing his scriptures and in the early churches, God brought up all different kinds of churches. You have the Ephesian church, you have the Corinthian church, and what a mess that was. We can take some comfort in that, right? Even in the first generation, churches struggled. Well, what was Timothy's experience? He received this letter from Paul. He read it to his congregation. He says, we got to do this. This is what we must do as a church. And he began to implement one thing after another. Do you know what happened? His church imploded. There was an open rebellion against him. So much so, and we're going to see it today, that, that he was a puddle of tears. He wanted to quit. He was on the verge of a, a massive breakdown. He said, I can't continue. I can't do this. It's too hard. The suffering is too great. And so Paul writes him the book of 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy, basically, if I, if I were to summarize the whole book, the book of 2 Timothy uh, must be understood in context of 1 Timothy. And this is the message of 2 Timothy. Keep going. Keep going. I, I know it's hard. And, and there's going to be more hard times ahead, but you have to keep going through any resistance, through any opposition. Before we take a look at this morning's opening chapter in this book, it might be helpful to know that this is Paul's last letter. This is, many commentators say, like his last will and testament. This is the last words that he wanted to give, not just to Timothy, but these are the last words that God wanted to give to the universal church through his apostle Paul. And so as we're reading through 2 Timothy, we want to think, you know, this is what Paul wanted to say to Timothy, but more than that, this is what God wants to say to his church. When you're, when you're trying to do what God wants you to do, God says, be encouraged by this letter. Keep going, even when it's hard. So then the purpose of 2 Timothy is this encouragement to persevere in the face of resistance and opposition. And I'll say it at the beginning and probably at the end and maybe a little bit. We've experienced some resistance, right, as a church as we have sought to implement the scriptures. Not a lot, but some but we're going to experience more. Uh, as we continue to seek to implement the scriptures, as we continue to say, no, we're going to hold firm to 1 Timothy. Uh, God willing, there's going to be people come into our church. And not everyone who comes into our church is going to like what we're about. And, and so this challenge is not just about what's happened. It's about what's going to happen. There's going to be resistance when a church says, no, we take seriously First Timothy, and we're going we're gonna to live it out. There's going to be resistance and opposition when we say we take the scriptures seriously. We're not going to understand them all perfectly. We're not going to get it all right, and we're going to fall and trip and make mistakes. But our goal as a church is to understand this book, this Bible. And our goal is to preach it and to, to, to learn it and to live it and to teach it. We're going to 
experience resistance and opposition. And in those seasons of resistance and opposition, it's always a good idea to open up the book of 2 Timothy. So that's the first purpose of the book. The second purpose was to pass the baton to Timothy. And we're going to see this in, in several weeks from now. As Paul says, look, I, I am being poured out like a drink offering. He's, he's maybe weeks away from being beheaded because of his proclamation of the gospel as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, Timothy, I do not want to have run my race in vain, and it will be unless you keep it going. And he would have said the same thing to Titus and to all of his disciples. You've got to keep this thing going, generation after generation. You know what the amazing thing is? Here we are, 2,000 years later, and we're still picking up the baton as one relay race. As, as we take this letter and this book, and we say, this, let's do it. Let's keep this going. And so just as Paul passed the baton to Timothy, so Timothy passed the baton to John and John to the next uh, pastor in Ephesus and so on and so forth. And from, from Jesus to his apostles to their disciples to, to pastors and elders and men and women and families through the ages, through some dark times, through some difficult times, the gospel has made it to us. It's made it. The Bible has made it to us. And so the second purpose, as we're going to see, is keep it going. And so, so we run our race now so that at the end of our lives, in a generation from now, we'll say, keep it going. And kids, as you're here, you know, your, your parents, I'm charging them in, in the name of Christ today to, to take seriously the word of God. And they're going to pass it on to you and you to your children and your children to their children, unless the Lord returns. That is our task. So the tone of 2 Timothy is much different. If you, if you see the purpose of the two books, one is, this is what you must do, uh, is very authoritarian, di directive, imperative, definitive. It can have a harsh tone. There's no black and white. Paul wasn't really trying to encourage and build him up, not too much, a little bit. But here, Paul says, look, I know it's hard. Just keep going, do it. You can do this. So, so the tone is very different. It's very tender. It's encouraging. Paul is reminiscent. I just want you to remember me and remember your mom and remember your grandma and, and remember what Jesus has done and, and just keep going. You can do this. And we see, we see this difference of tone uh, just very quickly, I think it's worth pointing out. Just flip back to 1 Timothy 1, verse 2. First Timothy 1, verse 2. This letter is from Paul to Timothy, my true child in the faith, or my loyal child in the faith. Now we might think, well, that sounds pretty tender, but actually, no. The whole idea there is, look, son, you need to implement the will of your father. You're, you're, you're my true son. I'm going to treat you like a son. This is my will for you, and it's not just my will. It's, it's the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. Implement these things. You see the tone there? Like a father to a son, an expectation of obedience in 1 Timothy 2. Now, go to 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy, verse 2. This is from Paul. To Timothy, 
my beloved child. You've been a true son. I just want you to know I, I love you. You're my beloved child. I want to encourage you. As you get the tenderness of the father in there, in, in Paul's relationship with Timothy. And I, I really think that we ought to see the two letters the same way from God, our father. First Timothy, from God, our father. These are the things that I expect in my house. That's first Timothy. God to us. Second Timothy, oh, my beloved children, I see what you're doing. You're implementing my will. Oh, just keep going. I love you. And I'm so pleased. You see the difference in the tone? So, I, I mean, I got a few emails through First Timothy. I, I, yeah, the tone was authoritative. Because the preacher must always match the tone of his preaching with the tone of the text. But now... There's still authority in this book, right? This is still the words of God. But what, what I want us to see is now God's going to bind us up, bind us together. He's going to encourage us and lift us up, and he's going to reassure us that we can do this. We can do this in the power of Christ by the strength of the Holy Spirit. So that's by way of introduction today, but also for the whole Series. What I, what I want us to do with the time remaining, we have three related parts. We're going to look mostly at verses 3 through 18. And in verses 3 to 7, you see this first section. In this first section, we see the personal thanksgiving and encouragement of Paul to Timothy or from God to us. Second section runs from verses 8 through 12. And here we, we get this exhortation to keep going. Don't be ashamed. Suffer if you must, but keep going. And then finally, in verses 13 to 18, Paul puts himself forward and he says, look, Timothy, just look at my life. Follow in my footsteps. So that's what we're going to look at today. Um, Paul's personal thanksgiving and encouragement, his exhortation to keep going through suffering and to imitate Paul as Paul gave his life in the imitation of Christ. Let's take a look at this first section, verses 3 through 7. Uh, personal thanksgiving and encouragement. I'm going to read these verses for us, but before I do, I just want to highlight what, what I want us to notice. In this section, Paul is giving thanks, which is normal in a Greek letter. So it's following the normal convention of a letter, but it's specially tailored to the function of this letter. And, and we see that with a fourfold call to remember something. A fourfold call to remember something. In verse 3, Paul says, I remember you constantly in my prayers. Uh, in verse 4, he says, I, I remember your tears. In verse 5, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. And in verse 6, he says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. So this is very reminiscent. As we read this, uh, just ask yourself, invite the Holy Spirit to show you, why is Paul in this reminiscent mood? Let's read together again verses 3 through 7. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as I remember you. 
constantly in my prayers night and day as I remember your tears. Oh, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure of it, dwells in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Verse 3. We get this first indication that Timothy is facing strong opposition because Paul begins by saying, look, I want you to know whatever you're going through there in Ephesus, because you've implemented the instructions that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to me and I passed on to you. I want you to know, Timothy, that you're not forgotten. You're not alone. I remember you constantly in my prayers. Night and day I am praying for you. I am praying for your good. I am praying for your strength. I am on your side. And the preamble there, you get this thanksgiving. Paul says, look, I'm, I am thankful to God. I am serving God just as my ancestors did. And who are Paul's ancestors? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Moses, David, and so on. I am worshiping God just like them. And I've got a clear conscience. I know that the things that I am doing and the things that I've passed on to you come from God. And I am as sure that God is as pleased with me as he was pleased with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Moses, and David, and so on. And, and so that's an encouragement. You're not alone, Timothy. It may feel like you're alone because there's great opposition in your local church, but you're not alone. I stand with you. Abraham stands with you. Isaac stands with you. Jacob stands with you. Judah stands with you. Moses stands with you. David stands with you. Jesus Christ stands with you. Our God and Father stands with you. You see, that, that, is, that strengthens a person, doesn't it? When you're, when you're going through a hard time, because you're being obedient, just know that even when it feels like you're alone, you are not alone. Then we get into verse 4. As I remember your tears. Why is, why is Timothy crying? He's on the verge of breaking down because of the difficulties in, in ministry and life in the church. Isn't that tragic? That life in the church can bring a pastor to tears? It happens. And you know, I, I'm encouraged that this happened to Timothy. Otherwise, you know, there would be days where I wonder, what, what's going on? in the church. Maybe you've been in tears because of your experience in a local church. Maybe you've been in tears because of your experience in this local church. Paul says to Timothy, I remember your tears. Oh, I wish I was with you. 
I wish I was there with you because you would fill me with such joy. You know, I was going through Timothy's mind. And you'll see as we go through that I'm not making this up. This is very clear from the context of the letter. This is what's happening to Timothy. Uh, Timothy is doing his best to be obedient to Paul's letter, which is obedience to Christ. And, and nobody's finding joy in Timothy, and that's hard. That's hard, right? When you're trying to be obedient and people who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ take no enjoyment from you, they, they, they find no joy in you. And Paul says, look, if I was there, if I was with you, I'd be thrilled with what you're doing. You would fill me with such joy. So even from a distance, this is building Timothy up. He's saying, look, what you're doing is good. And yeah, there may be people, men and women in your church that don't understand or are not thankful. They're not, they're not seeing. They're not, they're not um, rejoicing in your ministry and what you're doing. But from a distance, Paul says, I am. Then we get to verse 5. You know, another thing, not only are you reduced to tears, whether you're the pastor, the elders, or just a, a person in the church, when things aren't going well in the local church. But things get really murky, don't they? And it's hard to know. Am I right? Am I doing the right thing? Is, is what I'm doing what I ought to be doing? And, and, and this person's pretty persuasive. I'm not even sure anymore that the things that I was so sure about that I'm right and self-doubt can creep in, whether, again, whether you're the preacher or someone sitting in the pew. When, when, when the church is in conflict and it's churning, I'm not sure which side I ought to be on. And Timothy was going through that. And that, that's why we get verse 5. Paul, Paul wants to give Timothy some certainty. Verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. We talked about the word sincere. Sincere means no wax. And the reason why is there was, uh, in pottery, if you were to sell a pot, if it cracked for whatever reason, you could fill the crack with wax and sell it as if it wasn't broken. But structurally, it wasn't strong. What Paul is saying is, look, your faith is without cracks. There's no wax covering over a, a, a blemish or a crack or a weakness. Your faith is the real deal. I, I want to reassure you that what you've said and what you've done is right. It is always right to be on the side of Christ. It is always right to implement 1 Timothy. No matter what people say, no matter what resistance you face, no matter what opposition comes through the door, no matter how much conflict your church is in, it is always right to stand firm on the words of God. I want to remind you of your sincere faith. And, and, and it's not just you, Timothy. If you're not sure about yourself, I, wa I want you to remember your mom. And I want you to remember your grandmother. Because you're just doing what they taught you to do. Are they wrong? And I want you to remember me. And you go back up to verse 2. You're my beloved child. Uh, I've got the report back from Ephesus, and you've done exactly what I've asked you to do. So you got your mom, 
and your grandma, and you got me, I'm, I'm your father, your, your dad, Timothy, he's not following the Lord, but, but I'm your spiritual father. So you've got your father, and your mother, and your grandmother, and all of my ancestors were with you. Your faith is real. Don't buckle under pressure. Finally, in verse 6, Paul reminds Timothy of his ordination. I remind you, for this reason, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The laying on of hands was that moment when Paul and the elders, were told in 1 Timothy, uh, came around Timothy, laid their hands on him, and declared before the congregation, we affirm that God has given this young man, Timothy, the gift of teaching. We affirm it. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We affirm it. And we, elders, are sending him forward to teach the word of God. And what Paul does in verse 6 is, I want you to remember that. It's not just me, but it's the elders. We laid our hands on you. And we commissioned you. We affirmed that God was at work in you to teach God's church the truth. So fan that into flame. Don't allow the opposition to quench the gift that God has given you. Fan it into flame and teach. We're going to get into that in verse chapters 3 and 4. Teach, that's what God has gifted you to do. Teach, be bold, teach with authority, with certainty. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Don't have the fear of man. So if you lose the whole church, if you are standing with me and with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in the right place. Don't be afraid. But teach with power. But not with abuse of power, with love. And self-control. You cannot control how people will receive the gospel. You cannot control how they will receive the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, but you can control yourself. You control yourself. Get a hold of yourself, Timothy. Don't break down. Persevere. Remember your ordination. What's the relevance then for South Shore? We've already spoken a little bit of it. Well, I think it's important for us to remind ourselves that fidelity to the scriptures is not popular. And unfortunately, it's never even been popular in the church. And this is not a new problem. That is a problem in Ephesus. In the apostolic age, fidelity to the word of God is not popular. We're hardwired against faithfulness to the words of God. We want to do our own thing. And especially when it looks like the ship is sinking and people are leaving, there is a tremendous pressure to stop preaching the word of God. There's a tremendous pressure to just sort of bind up the church and say whatever you need to say to keep people in the church. And what we have to remember is that's not the call that God has put on any of our lives. Our call as the church is to be faithful to the word of God. We cannot control how people receive it, what people do with it. So long as we're preaching with power and love, we must preach the truth. 
So when we face resistance, when we face opposition, what will we do as a church? It's not about what will the pastor do or what will the elders do. What will we do as a church? Will we buckle under pressure? Or will we say, you know what, it doesn't matter how many we are. Uh, we want to be a faithful church. Now the sequence of application of this text is, I just want to acknowledge this, this text is first and foremost to a pastor. So the most direct application of this text is to me. The second tier is to the elders who stand with the pastor. But then what's true for the pastor and true for the elders is true for the church. And Timothy was expected to read this out to the church, just as I'm reading it out to you. And those, those who, who desire to be faithful to the word of God were to receive the same encouragement that Timothy himself received. So that's the first section, the fourfold reminder to persevere even when it's hard. Second section runs from verses 8 through 12. And this section is an exhortation to suffer and to not be ashamed. Now, the suffering is not just any kind of suffering. Uh, the suffering is suffer for your fidelity to the word of God. That, that's a specific kind of suffering. If you must suffer in the context of the local church, Suffer not because you're a bully, not because uh, you're an autocrat, not because you're doing anything that, uh, according to your own whim and fancy, but because you're endeavoring to be faithful to the scriptures. This is not about suffering that comes from the world. This is about suffering that comes from within the church, which is the worst kind of suffering. And there's a call here not to be ashamed. Now, there's much in these verses that we could talk about. I have to leave most of it to your discipleship groups. I want us to focus in on uh, verses 8 and 12. Verses 9 through 11, I'm going to read them. Uh, but you're going to have to look at them mostly in your discipleship group. What I want us to notice in verses 8 and 12 is there's three things. One... There's this call not to be ashamed. There's this call to suffer. And there's this reminder that you can only do this in the power of God. And in verse 8, we see that Paul is telling Timothy, I'm charging you to do this. And in verse 12, what Paul says is, look, this is what I've, I've done. This is what I am doing. Follow my example. So let's take a look at these verses. Verses 8 through 12. Therefore, in light of what we've talked about, you know, keep going... Do not be ashamed. There's two things that Timothy is not to be ashamed of. About the testimony about our Lord, so the gospel, and all that flows out of the gospel, nor of me, his prisoner. Paul was in prison at this point. Rather, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So you saw the three parts there. Don't be ashamed. Suffer if you must. And do it by the power of God. Now God has saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. 
which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So in verse 8, he says, look, refuse to be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not be ashamed of the teaching that accords with the gospel, which is 1 Timothy. Don't be ashamed of that letter and what you are doing. Rather, look at me. I'm not ashamed. I was called to be a preacher. This is what Paul is saying. I was called to be an apostle. Jesus sent me just as I have sent you. I was called to be a teacher too. And I have suffered greatly, but I'm not ashamed. I've kept going. Follow my example. And and so the application for us is simple. Uh, Timothy is supposed to follow Paul's example as Paul follows Christ's example. And we, therefore, are to follow Timothy's example to persevere. We're not supposed to be ashamed of the Bible, of the gospel of 1 Timothy. Secondly, Paul exhorts Timothy to share in suffering. I've already said that there will be suffering that comes at the hands of those who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ. There will be so-called Christians who do not like your faithfulness to the scriptures. So, Paul says suffer. Suffer that. There, there's, I don't know, like I haven't shed my blood for the gospel. But I imagine that there's nothing more painful than the suffering caused by Christians to other Christians. There's just something wrong with that. But, It's going to happen. I I would pray that it would not happen, but it will. Let it not happen by any of us. Let us not cause suffering for one another. When it does, we are to suffer. How do we suffer this? We're told in verse 8, by the power of God. In verse 12, Paul says, look, I know the one with whom I've entrusted my life. I'm willing to suffer this, and that's where verses 9 through 11 come in. Because I know that God called me before the ages began. I know that he saw Christ crucified before he ever said, let there be light. I I know that he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. I know that he sent forth Jesus to die in my place. I know that Jesus is coming back. And if God can do all of that, I will entrust myself to him. I will not be ashamed of him. I will not be ashamed of the things that he asks me to do. Even when brothers and sisters in the church make my life a living hell. I'll persevere. Because I'm with God. And he's with me. Relevance for us. We must choose before the suffering comes that we will endure. It's too hard when it, if we are surprised when someone who calls himself or herself a Christian begins to cause suffering on us, then we will not be able to withstand it. But if we know that it is sure to come, 
that we'll, we'll say, well, I'm expecting this. Just one little caveat. Um, the Bible's not always easy to understand. So how do we know we're right? Well, maybe we don't always know that we are absolutely right. Perhaps a greater humility amongst all of us would limit some of the suffering that we inflict on each other. But at the end of the day, every local church has got elders who need to make a call. They need to, they need to make an interpretive decision on what the scriptures say, unless it's crazy out to lunch. The expectation is that the church gets behind the leadership of the church. And we rally together around our best understanding of what the scriptures say. Now, if it's heresy or blasphemy, by all means, stand firm against the teaching of this church. Leave the church. But if it's not blasphemy and it's not heresy, uh, we sometimes need to agree to disagree without causing so much grief for one another. Let's major on the majors and minor on the minors. And, and for, for my part and our part, all I can say is uh, the elders here are devoted to doing everything that we can to get it right. We're not going to get it perfect all of the time, but we're trying. And, and if you know that about us, then you know, down the road, if you're just not seeing quite eye to eye with the teaching, you can either decide to let it go or you can say, you know, I think I could be a constructive help. I think I could come alongside Adam. I think I could come alongside the elders and just let them know sort of the way that the Lord has helped me to understand this passage. Do you see the difference there? We're working together. We must do all things according to the power or in the power of God. That is, we have to remind ourselves uh, who we are and who God is and that we have much more in common than we have that sets us apart. Did not Jesus die one death for all of us? Do we not just unite ourselves around his table, reminding ourselves that each of us has given our sin to be carried in his body? Did he not shed his blood Equally for all of us? Has he not sent one Holy Spirit to fill all of us and to indwell us? Has he not gifted us differently so that we can be uh, uh, a constructive, upbuilding, contributing member of his local church? There's so much more that unites us than divides us. Uh, and so as we move forward then, uh, let's choose to suffer for our best understanding of the scriptures together, even if we don't perfectly see it eye to eye. And you know, one of the blessings that God gives us, and I've been studying his Bible long enough to know this, is that he does give each of us slight nuanced understandings of his word. And when we bring those together in a constructive way, we're a blessing to one another. We're a blessing. Because what the Holy Spirit might show you, he might not have shown me. And what the Holy Spirit has shown me, he might not have yet shown it to you. So rather than fighting, well, that's not the, quite the way I see it. Wow. Isn't it amazing? 
how deep and profound God's word is. There will be suffering at the hands of Christians in this church. All we can do is commit to not be an active contributor to that suffering and be ready when it comes. Last thing I'll say about that is the elders are charged to protect the church from that kind of suffering. So one of our responsibilities is to find if there's someone who's inflicting that kind of suffering to approach that person and to deal with it for the sake of the church. This brings us to our third section, verses 13 to 18. And here, Paul puts himself forward as an example to be emulated. There's, there's three lines, really, that I want us to look at here. Uh, and they, they come in verse, verses 13, 14, and 15. So let me just give them to you, then I'll read the full passage. Paul says, look, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. Don't worry about all the noise in your local church, Timothy. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. Verse 14, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. In, in spite of the resistance, in spite of the opposition in the church, God has made a deposit and he's entrusted it to you. What is that deposit? I think broadly it's the gospel, but I think more specifically what, what Paul has in mind here, it's 1 Timothy. You need to guard the instructions of 1 Timothy. Don't worry about what everybody is saying. Guard the word of God, the instructions that, that our God and Father has given to you so that you know how our Father wants us to behave in his house. Guard that. And then finally, you're aware that everyone in Asia abandoned me. You're not the only one, Timothy, that has experienced resistance and opposition and abandonment. Everyone in the continent of Asia abandoned me. So again, we shouldn't be surprised when we face difficulties. Let's take a look at this last section. Verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Really what Paul's saying is there is, look, I'm following Jesus, you follow me. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Uh, we will be too weak to guard First Timothy in our own strength. We must invite the Holy Spirit to help us. Oh, Spirit, help us to run this race, to guard the deposit, to implement the instructions to be a living epistle. Then verse 15. Look, you know, you, you know full well, because I've told you, that everyone in Asia has turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. I, I like to interpret it this way. Even if you could believe it, Phygelus and Hermogenes, you know, I, and the reason I do that is they're, they're, they're mentioned because they're noteworthy. If they were just always tr troublesome people, he wouldn't have mentioned them. Even these two men who stood with me side by side through much suffering, uh, who, who preached the gospel, even these two have abandoned me. Sometimes it's surprising who abandons the faithful preaching of the word. Surprising. 
But these two men, Phygelus and Hermogenes, says, we should not be surprised if anyone were to say, that's enough, I'm out of here. It doesn't make them right. Phygelus and Hermogenes were not right. Even though it was surprising that they would abandon Paul. There was one, there was one who was an Ephesian, I believe. At least he spent some time there, who stood with Paul. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my change. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Oh, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know the service he rendered at Ephesus. Paul says, you know what, there was one man. And not only did he stand by me in Ephesus or in Asia, but when I was arrested in Rome, he came after me. He sought me out. He found me, even though he put his life at risk to do such a thing. And he refreshed me. Oh, may the Lord grant him mercy. May the Lord grant him mercy. And, and take a look at the difference there. Look at the emphasis that Paul gives to the one who stood with him. So it ought to be with us. We, we can't worry about those who have left or who will leave. We have to keep going. We can't be burdened down by, by constantly going over their names. We have to think about all who have remained and who will remain. And all who will come. You know, I'm so pleased and so blessed as a pastor. Look at this room filled with Anisiphoruses. Who are not ashamed of the teaching of 1 Timothy. You know, we weathered the teaching of 1 Timothy extremely well. Very few people left. There's not a lot of churches that would be able to say the same thing. If, if we took the preaching that we did here in, in September and October and November, and, and again, I'm not trying to put down other churches. I'm not trying to compete. We're all working for one goal. But, but I know that there are many churches that they would have lost people by the hundreds. But we didn't. I believe we're going to gain people. Because of our faithfulness to the word of God. We don't preach to tickle ears. We don't preach short sermons. We don't preach entertaining sermons. We open the word of God and for 45 minutes on a short day and an hour on a regular day, we dig into the scriptures I'm so pleased to see a room full of people that want to do that. So I'm encouraged. Taken together then, this passage, this first chapter of the book of 1 Timothy gives us our 16th instruction for the church. Which is this. Persevere. Persevere. Keep going even when facing strong internal resistance. Whether we have or whether we will, and we have received some and we will receive more, keep going. And that's the commitment that you have from me. That's the commitment you have from your elders. So come with us as you offer.
How do we keep this instruction? Well, just to recap, we fan each of us, fan into flame the gift of God that he has given to us. Each of us has been given a gift. Let's fan the gift of God that has been given to us and contribute it to the building up of this local church. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel. Let us not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Let us not be ashamed of Paul and his writings. Let us not be ashamed of 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy or any book in this Bible. Let us be ready to suffer for the gospel, even at the hands of so-called Christians. Let us follow the pattern of the sound words that we have read from Paul. Let us guard the good deposit, which is 1 Timothy, increasingly implementing it. I mean, reading it, learning it, preaching it is the easy part. Now we must do it. That's the hard part. Let us do it. Implementing the book, that will be... Uh, guarding the good deposit entrusted to us and let us remember on the difficult seasons that have come and will come again that many abandoned Timothy in Ephesus and many abandoned Paul in Asia and yet with them God was pleased and Paul worshipped God with a clear conscience just as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob Judah Moses, David, and all of those who were saved in the Old Covenant did. And we stand with Christ here at this church. Let us stay together. Let us fight together. Let us persevere together. And let us do this all in the power and to the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh God, bless this church. Empower us by your spirit to keep going. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to rightly understand the Bible. And Lord, where we have made mistakes, I pray that you would help us to correct one another with love and gentleness. Lord, I thank you for this church. I love this church. I love the men and the women and the children of this church. I know that you love this church. And I do pray, add to our number, those who want to guard the good deposit with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.